Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. You clearly don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger. I am the danger. I am the one who knocks. Now, say my name. Eisenberg. You're damn right. Welcome to Los Podcast Hermanos, the HHW LOD Breaking Bad Podcast. Hey everybody and welcome to Los Podcast Hermanos, episode 7, where we will be discussing the penultimate episode of all of Breaking Bad, season 5, episode 15, Granite State. I'm Jordan from Jersey and I'm joined tonight by Frank and Jim. How you guys doing tonight? I'm great, thank you. I'm just off to get my vacuum repaired. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> speaking of vacuum repair, let's not even bury the lead on this one. Robert Forrester was in this episode. How awesome was that? And how did we not guess that? It's the perfect casting. I I was close with Winston Wolfe from Pulp Fiction, but Max Cherry from Jackie Brown is just as good. It's apples and oranges, but it's perfect. I just thought sure with Bob I just thought sure with Bob Odenkirk is solid that we're gonna go with David Cross. You know, his, his old Mr. Show partner. But um, I was real pleased. To see, I'm always pleased to see Robert Forster. He's one of my favorite character actors. Max Cherry is one of my, I mean, great, great role. And uh, Jackie Brown's my favorite Tarantino. So it was awesome to see him. I saw this at a watching party. And when he was revealed, the place went crazy. People people just started applauding. They just, they, it was just very, that's on the nose casting. I'm jealous of the crowd you watch this with, Frank, because I have a feeling a lot of people watch this episode and went, okay, so it's just some random old guy, not knowing the awesomeness of Robert Forrester. But <laughs> their loss. He, he is awesome. He was great on the show. It was awesome to see him. But should we, gentlemen, start at the beginning, which is, as I hear, a very good place to start? Let's do I didn't know you were a, f- a fan of the stylistics. <laughs> uh, I was referencing The Sound of Music, sir. Uh, no, I was, I was referencing Jackie Brown, so... Because I grew up with musicals. Well, I grew up with two musicals, Fiddler on the Roof and Sound of Music, both of which I've seen far too many times. explains a lot about you, Jordan. (laughs) For instance, my whole If I Were a Rich Man plan. Uh, Hopefully that'll come to pass. (laughs) Why you always talk like Tevye. (laughs) Okay, this is starting out strange. Uh, Gentlemen, Breaking Bad, shall we? Let's do it. All right, gentlemen, Granite State is the 61st and penultimate episode of Breaking Bad. It was both written and directed by Peter Gould, uh, Peter Gould rather, the co-creator of the Saul Goodman character, along with Vince Gilligan. Uh, it'll be the last episode he writes and directs because the finale will be written and directed by Vince Gilligan himself. You know, I have to say that, that the pacing of the of the show was uh, was pretty good. At times it did feel, and I know we'll get into this more, but it, it felt kind of all over the place. I mean, we were literally in different parts of the country for many parts of this. And we covered like six months of time. You're living in a shotgun shack. You're living in another part of the world. This is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful wife. Yeah, it was. And um, it, it was such a, a difference in tone, too. This was so much more of an understated episode, I mean, compared to last week. You know, compared to compared to everything that went that went down last week, we I think we needed a bit of a breather, and we kind of got it this week. Not saying no, I'm not saying nothing happened, 
but you know, you know, nobody got shot this time, really. <laughs> well, uh, somebody did. Oh, get you're shot. right. I'm we'll sorry. Get to that. <laughs> but no, it's interesting you say this was a bit of a breather because, well, I see what you're going for, and I see what you mean in terms of like speed and pace. Yes, it was slower, yeah. but the episode was all about people trapped in cages, either of their own making or of the making of others. And to me, the the pacing of the episode and the whole tone of it really helped heighten that feeling where you can, it's palpable how trapped these people feel, mostly Walt and Jesse, but others as well, Skylar and, and her scene and such, and Saul definitely. And it just, yes, the pacing was a little bit, I don't know if erratic's the right word or all over the place is the right way, but the pacing was different, definitely. Um, but it, it heightened that tone and that feeling of just being trapped with these characters, and I thought it was super effective. Well, it added to the sense of isolation. I mean, the way that, like you said, the pacing or whatever. I mean, everybody, like you said, Jordan, in, in this episode, everyone's isolated from one, one another, especially Walter, you know, off in, in his little cabin or whatever. You know, Saul's life is over pretty much, and he's out of there. You know, Skylar has lost everything. You know, they've all, they're all in this, you know, this isolated um, space and, and the pacing of this episode really helped get that feeling across just, you know, in subtextual way, I think. So this episode starts with a shot of the vacuum repair van and the door opens and we see someone step out. And I assume most people like myself thought it was Walt, but no, it was Saul Goodman <laughs> and he was being brought to the, to the vacuum repair shop, which is an actual vacuum repair shop. And he was surprised to see that. I don't know if I personally was. I guess I just never really thought about it. But it didn't bother me that it actually was a uh, a front that actually was what it said it was. And I don't know if you meant this when you... What you said, Jordan, but that is in Albuquerque. That is a real vacuum repair shop. That is a legitimate business. And I don't know if the number on the front is actually the number... Like, there's a, there's a number on the front of the building, you see. I don't know if that's the actual number for the business, but I don't know if this still works. But as of this morning, if you called the phone number on that sign that was only on screen for a few seconds, you got a pre-recorded message from Robert Forrester saying, <laughs> uh, you know, this is the name of the repair shop. We can't take your call right now, but please leave a message with the, you know, the need for your repair. We'll get back to you or whatever. Something along those lines. Beep. But I have $11 million awesome. dollars in a barrel. I was wondering if you'd come pick me up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I thought that was pretty cool attention to detail. So he gets there and he's told that someone else is already there. So he's going to have to double bunk, which the, the guy, the vacuum repair guy, whose name we never get in the episode. However, uh, the writers and producers have said that in the script, his name is Ed, and I choose to believe his name is Ed Cherry, and he is Max Cherry's brother in some way. But uh, so Ed, well, let's just call him Ed for the purpose of this episode, because it's much simpler than the disappearer. But uh, so Ed does not normally like to have people double bunk when he's disappearing them. But Walt is still there, and Walt is already at the beginning like a caged animal. He's prowling around this room, just kind of muttering to himself and and swatting the the uh, the lamp that's hanging down from the ceiling away. And he looks like a caged animal. He's at the end of his rope. I mean, we find out later in the episode he pays um, Robert Forster's character what, like ten grand to play a game of poker with him or something. Like he's, yeah. he's, he's like, so I, not only is he isolated, you know, physically, he's isolated mentally too. He's kind of just like drawn, withdrawn from everything. I mean, all this, all this potential and all this money and he can't do anything with it. The irony of ironies. He can't even leave the cabin. He can't even give the money away. So 
Saul goes down and talks to Walt because they're in this kind of like a hidden bunker underneath the vacuum repair shop. And Walt is still pacing around. He's writing down notes. And finally, he rips out a piece of paper and gets it to Saul and says, okay, let's do it this way. You write down the names of, I, I'm going to need five or six hitmen or whatever they're called, mercenaries. And Saul goes, whoa, 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 I'm, I'm going to regret this, but who are we taking out here? Who's getting the hit? And Walt tells him that they're going to take out the neo-Nazis and get back Walt's money. And Saul goes, A, I don't know any mercenaries, which I, I like Walt's reply. Okay, you know a guy who knows a guy <laughs> who knows a guy who knows some mercenaries. But he goes, A, I don't know any. And B, the, the jig is up. It's over. And this is where Walt revisits his line from, I think it's episode 501, where he goes, it's like I told you before, it's over when I say it's over. And he starts to say another line, but he uh, goes into a coughing fit and has to stop, to which Saul is able to get in the pretty much one of Saul's last words of, no, I'm pretty sure it's over, Walt. <sighs> Plus, he tells, he tells him to give himself up. Yeah. You know, he's like, you know, yeah, um, he, he gives us, he's like, you want some advice? Give yourself up, you know? Anybody else would tell you to leave and, and skedaddle, but I'm telling you to give yourself up, you know? You'll be the Dillinger of the Albuquerque pen. Right. And, uh, and that will get his wife off the hook and his family off the hook, and that is the best outcome at this point. And he's already dying. I mean, I mean, how much, how much time would he really have to spend in jail if he's already dying of lung cancer, you know? But he refuses, and so, like, uh... Like Saul says, they're going to go after Skyler, even though he left that phone call. And he even says, you know, it was a good move. It was a smart move. But if they don't have you, she's all they have. And they're going to get her on something. And at first, Walt wants to bring uh, Saul to New Hampshire with him to help work on the plan. <laughs> but again, that he gets talked out of that. Instead, Saul's going to go to Nebraska. So now we know why uh, Better Call Saul will be a prequel, because no one would watch a show set in Nebraska. <laughs> Sorry, Nebraskan listener. Uh, yeah, managing a Cinnabon. Well, I, I mean, he was he was postulating, but yeah, right. I can kind of see that happening. <laughs> and maybe if he's lucky, he'll have three pairs of Dockers. <laughs> and I don't know how those, that's lucky, because those pants are always freaking uncomfortable, but that's just my opinion. Saul gets some great lines, and that was... that three pair of dockers and managing a Cinnabon was just like just spot on so good and from what I understand that'll be the last we see of this character here anyway until his pre until yeah, pre, yeah until, until the prequel. prequel but that is as far as I understand it the end of the Saul Goodman character and knowing Bob knowing Bob Odenkirk he probably wrote a lot of his own lines I mean I just or at least improvised right. him, he's, yeah. he's a really quick wit and a really great you know comedy writer or TV writer in his own right so yeah I wouldn't be surprised to be improvised them or wrote them himself so Saul leaves first and he gets sent off to Nebraska and Ed says it's going to be a couple days but then he will get Walt to his new identity as well so we then cut over to Marie who's in a either Albuquerque PD or a DEA vehicle she's being brought home and they're telling her we're going to find your husband or at least his body, and we're, we're going to make sure that the people responsible for this are prosecuted, etc. And as they pull up to her house, there are papers all over the street, and they can quickly see that something is wrong, so two officers hop out, they send the vehicle with Marie in it back to base and call for backup, they find the house has been broken into, everything's been scattered, and the neo-Nazis have stolen Jesse's confession tape. It took me a while to kind of figure out maybe what was going on, I had kind of forgotten about that whole confession part of it but uh yeah that was nice and startling and in fact the cut to the next scene just it worked so well i knew that i knew this would come up some, somewhere and somehow you know when they made the tape so and it was weird to me 
uh, granted, this is a very minor quibble, but the papers on the street weirded me out in a way. Like, that was so strange that it took me a second to be like, oh, okay, I guess it's, they just kind of threw them outside, or it was windy and the door was broken open or something, but it, it just seemed very strange. I guess they needed a visual cue to tell the audience why the, uh, the agents were quickly spiriting Murray away, but it was still strange. Uh, we also have a scene, it might have been right before this, but where Skylar is being uh, interrogated is not the right word necessarily, but she's in a meeting with her lawyer and with the prosecution and the DEA, where they're trying to get her to give them anything, basically, that they can use about Walt's lo location, where he might be, etc. And it parallels the scene where Walt is told back in the pilot that he has cancer, where you have close-ups on the mouths of the people talking, and you have, uh, in, in the pilot, it was Walt, but here, Skyler just kind of zoned out. But then, when they cut back to Mr. White, or in this case, Mrs. White, uh, are you understanding what I'm saying? She, or he in the first case, and then she in this episode, are able to pretty much repeat back, this is what you just said, this is what you want, but I can't do anything. I have no idea where he is, I have no idea where he might be, I have nothing else to give you. And they, they end that scene by telling her, to rack her brain and try and think of where and anything that she could give them, any bit of information that she hasn't handed over yet that might help in tracking down Walt or stopping the meth operation. Uh, after that scene, which I believe happens next, which was the, the Marie and her house being broken into scene, that's where we had that cut that Frank was talking about, where we cut back to the neo-Nazi base, and they are watching Jesse's confession tape and laughing. Uh, they... <laughs> They are highly amused that he's crying through his whole confession and through all these things. And then Jesse starts talking about the train robbery and about the kid, Drew Sharp, who was murdered. And you, they all look over to, uh, to Todd, who is not only not upset about this being revealed, because he hadn't told them before, presumably, he smiles. He's like, and Chris Hardwick said this last night on Talking Bad, but I was thinking the same thing, where he's like, oh, they're talking about me on the TV, you know? He... <laughs> You know, I mean, at, at this point, it's it's pretty clear to me, and I, I'm not a psychologist, but that Todd seems to be fairly clearly a sociopath. It, oh, it was super creepy. I mean, this was one of the least creeper, creepy things he's done. He just smiled. But in that circumstance, it was just, ugh. So many cool things in this scene, you know, when, when Jack's up on his feet and then, you know, Todd talks him down. He's like, you know, no, this is the only way I can get the meth that we want. And then, you know, Jack realizes that, uh, you know, why... Todd wants to make this meth. It's not for the money because they have all of Walt's money. It's to impress Lydia. And he quotes Milan Kundera, you know, the heart wants what it wants. I'm just like, wow, that's really weird coming out of Nazi Jack. You know, <laughs> uh, it's pretty sensitive for, for a Nazi, you know, Nazi Skinner who, you know, murders people for a living. But yeah, this scene was pretty awesome. You know, the, uh, the these, these neo-Nazis, they seem to have some type of, I don't know if you call it some type of code or they just seem... For neo, they are very nice neo Nazis. Jack has this weird code of <laughs> honor too, you know, where he's like, like when Walt asked him to kill Jesse, and he's all like, you know, oh, you know, I, you know, that's, you know, usually everything's so messy or whatever. And you want this with style or whatever. He has this like odd, you know, code of honor and uh, of ethics in his own head that you know I don't know, you know, where it, it is in relation to normal persons, but it's definitely there. It's just really weird. And Michael Bowen, who plays Jack, he was in. Um... Jackie Brown with Robert Forrester, which is a fun little connection. Oh, wow. But yeah, once they see that bit on the tape, uh, Jack gets upset because, you know, uh, Jesse just ratted out to the police on tape 
uh, Todd for, for murder. So he gets up to go kill Jesse, but Todd talks him down, like you mentioned, Jim. And that's where it comes out that Todd is definitely sweet on uh, on Lydia, as they put it, and Todd even kind of admits it there. And they all kind of make fun of him for it. But again, not in a... I mean, it was crass, but not in a super mean way. Like, again, for neo-Nazis, I mean, they're brutal, but they're also kind of nice guys in a weird way. Yeah, it's it's almost in kind of an aw shucks kind of way. I mean, it, it was crude. Like gentlemen, but... gentlemen redneck zombies. Thank or you. zombies. Uh, <laughs> Nazis, not yeah. zombies. Gentlemen redneck Nazis. So Todd is able to talk Jack down and to not kill Jesse. And then we, we have some other scenes where Skylar's at home and she is smoking on the couch. Again, it's kind of reminiscent of previous scenes where she was looking out the window waiting for Walt. But in this case, she's looking out the window at either Albuquerque PD or DEA agents who are sitting out front in a car, uh, ostensibly to keep an eye on her, but also, I guess, to keep her safe. But they report in that there's uh, no movement, nothing happening. And at that point, Skylar hears baby Holly crying from the other room. So she goes in to check on her. And when she goes in, there are three men uh, who it's quickly revealed to us as the audience are uh, Todd, uh, Kenny, I believe, and one of the other uh, neo-Nazis in ski masks. Uh, they put the, uh, one of them, I believe, is Kenny, puts his hand over Skylar's mouth and they basically threaten her into, you know, we, we, we're not going to kill you because we respect your husband, but you know things that you can't tell the police. You absolutely cannot tell them. If you do, we will come back and we will hurt you and your baby, etc. and so forth. But Todd, who's the one doing all the speaking, makes what I think, and granted I'm just speculating here, is the critical mistake of telling her exactly what it was she wasn't supposed to tell the police. Because he brings up that she saw Lydia. Something that, as far as I can tell, Skylar had zero memory of. She has memory of it now, and we don't get a conclusion to what's going to happen to her after they leave. But I have a feeling now that she knows she may try to use that and go into hiding to keep her and her family safe, but to use that against uh, against them. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Skylar is not above, you know, no one tells Skylar what to do. And, yeah. and, you know, as soon as she knows her family is safe, that information is is coming out. Yeah, t- you know. Todd didn't know any better. He's just trying to protect Lydia, but you know, big, but you know, he doesn't know otherwise whether she remembers that or not. And it should be noted six months later or so when we don't see Skylar, but we do see Walter jr. He's still going to an Albuquerque school under his real last name. So I I kind of have to guess that she didn't tell the police, but I have a feeling it's going to come back up anyway in, in the finale. Yeah, it, I mean, it could be, you know, she told the police and it's just taking them a while to, to put the pieces together. You know, six months, it's it seems like a long time, but in law enforcement, you know, it takes a while to put that evidence together. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Plus, I mean, they really don't have anything concrete to go on other than leaning on Skylar, you know what I mean? Watching her, hoping that Walt will make contact because, I mean, I mean, like, Walt cleared her in that telephone call so they really can't drag her in or charge her with anything. Um, but, you know, those... Well, I mean, there still are things that they could charge her with, uh, money laundering, etc., uh, conspiracy, Rico stuff, but it's not going to be as cut as cut and dried as with Walt. Right, and they want the big... They don't want, they don't want, the, they don't want the pilot fish around him. They want the big shark. You know, they want right. Heisenberg. 
and you know so someone has to pay for this so if it's if it's not heisenberg it's going to be her i mean nobody is walking away from this from the white family so she's going to be looking for a way out and i think i think this is it interesting though i don't even think she knows lydia's name like even if she now wants to give them stuff can she, she i mean i think they said did they they might have said lydia's first name todd might have said it to her but even in that case, at the max, she has Lydia's first name and that she's brunette. I mean, that that's about all the information she can get. So uh, who knows? This is just kind of me thinking out loud um, from what I thought during the episode. And she got a rental car. She knows that. So, I, I mean, I guess some pieces could be put together. That is true. That is true. Uh, maybe, maybe she has the receipt information yeah. uh, at the uh, at the car wash. There you go. Uh, we then have a scene with, and, and, and it cuts back and forth between Walt's stories and the other stories, but since the most of the majority of it is Walt, I'm just going to stick with the other stories for now. Um, we have a scene with Lydia and Todd at the same cafe where uh, Walt met with her back in, se- in the beginning of season five, I think, where uh, he was almost going to poison her with the ricin, but then didn't. And she pulls her normal trick of, uh, let's sit back to back, because either she really hates looking at people or she's seen way too many movies. Um, but <laughs> while Walt didn't do it, I, I can't remember if she offered that to Walt, but she definitely tried to have uh, Hank, or not Hank, uh, Mike do it. Mike wouldn't do it, but Todd does, because Todd's in love. So they have the whole scene back to back. And at first she's like, you know, this is just isn't going to work out. We can't keep doing this. Um, you know, I'm going to have to find somebody else to cook me the meth, basically. And Todd tells her, uh, you know, we've got another batch and it's 92%. So maybe that can interest you. I think we work well together. I think this is mutually beneficial. And Lydia is not interested at all until the moment he mentions 92%, at which point, if they weren't in public, I think uh, I think she would have reciprocated some love right there because <laughs> she looked very hot and bothered by the, uh, by the phrase 92%. You could just To the point see- where... I mean, Jess, or Todd is able to turn around and pull a piece of lint off of her jacket, and she's got no problem with it. And again, super creepy. It's like the only in he has with her. You know what I mean? It's the only thing about him that that he has. The only card he has to play. You know, the only chip that he has with Lydia is you know the purity of the math. You know, getting it to where she wants to be. That's the only in with her he has. I mean, like you say, he's super creepy. No social skills. Lydia is totally not interested in him. Obviously. Except for the math, you know, except for the purity of the math. It's like the only hold he has over her, you know. And that scene was also important because we got the information that Jesse went, or not Jesse, I keep saying Jesse because the actor is Jesse Plemons. Uh, Todd went to Skylar's house in the first place because Lydia sent him there. Yeah. It was Lydia who had him do that. And Lydia actually wanted him to kill Skylar and was not thrilled that he didn't and that he just warned her. Uh, which I guess lends more credence to the theory that the ricin is for Lydia. A, because it was for her before, but also because she just threatened Skylar. And I don't think if Walt finds out about that, he will let that slide in any way, shape or form. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess Walt has to find out about that. I mean, I I just in my mind, I don't see Walt seeing his family again ever. I think that's just that ship has sailed. So, yeah, the the, the, I have a theory on the ricin thing, but... uh, I guess I'll wait till we get to the till the end to kind of throw it out there. So earlier in the episode, we had a short scene with Jesse where we saw him with that picture of Andrea and Brock again. But this time, Jesse was using his smarts and he took the picture with a paperclip attached to it. And while he's in the uh, Rancor pit, he <laughs> is, uh, 
fiddling with his handcuffs and he figures out how to uh, unlock them, uh, how to pick the lock basically with the bent paperclip. So we come back to him later, presumably on a different night, because the first time he didn't really uh, finish the job, but the, the, the second time he's uh, he seems to have gotten it done. And uh, Todd brings him ice cream. Why did Todd bring him ice cream? <laughs> well, because this is, again, another time jump. There's a lot of time jumps in this episode. On this particular day's uh, meth cook, they got it up from 92% to 96%. And so they were celebrating with some ice cream, uh, some uh, Americone Dream, and peanut butter cup. He didn't know yeah. which one Jesse liked, but he brought him a little of both just to celebrate. As you do when you have someone locked yeah, in your basement. You and apparently they also had uh, chocolate chip because Jack tell, Jack yells out not to give him any chocolate chip because <laughs> it would be a waste or be spoiling him or something like that, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Yeah, that's a great throwaway line. And so before Todd had come out, Jesse was had unchained himself and was trying to stack up everything in his little cell to reach the bars. He couldn't quite make it. But after Todd gives him the ice cream and goes away, Todd or Jesse asks him, you know, can you leave the cover off of the pit? I want to be able to see the stars, uh, which is kind of corny, but it's the kind of thing that works on Todd. Because uh, Todd, you know, Todd has saved Jesse's life uh, twice now, like explicitly saved his life twice now, and saved Walt's uh, wife's life as well. I mean, he has a genuine... Uh, affection or feeling of friendship towards them. Um, I mean, he was presumably also the one who talked Jack into giving Walt one barrel of money back. But so Jesse's able to put one over on Todd. Todd leaves the cover off. And as soon as he leaves, Jesse starts stacking everything up again. And he stacks it all up to the point where he can jump. He reaches the bars. He eventually gets the uh, the cage door unlocked, and the next thing we know, we see him running like kind of a World War II concentration camp <laughs> escape scene, um, appropriate because of the Nazis, but also it feels kind of like um, The Great Escape or something like that, where he's running through, and we get a shot of a surveillance camera as he runs past. He gets to the barbed wire fence. He starts to try to climb over it when all the Nazis come out with uh, guns and flashlights, and they stop him. Mm. And he yells, I won't cook for you anymore, you crazy Fs. We get our second dipped F word of the season. This is the first time we've had two in a season, although technically this is three if you want to count this just as a half season. But still, two in back-to-back episodes, that's a really big get for uh, for uh, Breaking Bad. So congratulations on the, their <laughs> use of language. I appreciate it. Now, my now the version I saw it was bleeped. Bleeped or dipped? Or di- It was dipped. Yeah, that it was dipped on mine as well. The, um, but you, previously, they've only ever been able to get one uh, dipped uh, F-word per season. Is that, is that real? They have a quota on, on dipped F-words? It is, yes, it is uh, AMC Standards and Practices. Yeah, they're, they're, they, there are so many so many times it can be said per season. And, and um, anyway, um, when I was watching it on Amazon, which is how I, uh, which I buy the episodes too, it was also dipped on the Amazon copy. Which surprised me because I figured I'm buying it. Why, you know, just let it all hang out, man. Let me, <laughs> let me hear the curse word. <laughs> well, it, but uh, I think it Amazon gets the broadcast version, not broadcast. Technically, I, I know people who understand things are yelling at their uh, iPods <laughs> or whatever. Not broadcast, but they get the version that was aired, rather the four air version, mm-hmm. and the DVD version, the Blu-ray version, may be completed, but it hasn't been sent out yet, so they won't have that. The DVD version, though, it won't be bleeped or dipped. It'll it'll be full on uh, full on greatness. We'll get some cussing. <laughs> yeah, boy. Um, 
it's it's funny, you know, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but watching the show on Netflix, which has the uh, the the DVD master versions, if you will, that are not dipped. There's a few points that I had not realized it was dipped because either you didn't see the character's mouth at the point it was said, um, or s- some other reasons. Like one of them, uh, Junior says, and you thought it was just I thought it was just a long pause in his phrasing. Uh, but it's actually that they dipped it there. And so it was kind of funny rewatching it to see the things I'd missed. Uh, so Jesse says, you know, I'm not, you know, just shoot me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to cook for you guys anymore. And then we then cut to Todd walking up to a house. He rings the bell. He doesn't knock. Interestingly, he is not the one who knocks. He's the one who politely rings the doorbell. <laughs> and, uh, who comes to the door, but Andrea. Mm. And, From the walking uh, he, dead. Oh, I'm kidding. No, no. Jesse's uh, ex-girlfriend, <laughs> Andrea, to which Todd goes, Oh hi, I'm I'm Jesse's friend. You're Andrea, right? And oh, how is Jesse? How's he doing? Well, he's out here in the truck, uh, and which to me seems super super suspicious. But we already know Andrea is worried about Jesse, and so she steps out and it's oh, what which truck that truck? And Todd looks around inside to make sure no one's going to be there to witness it. And as her back is turned to him, he goes, "Sorry, ma'am, nothing personal." Pulls out a pistol and shoots her in the back of the head. We then cut to Jesse in the back of the truck that's parked just down the road as he is screaming. He's gagged, but he's screaming and crying and beating his head against the window as he's being uh, forced to watch this by Jack and crew. Heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. I know he had his like best friend or his mentor or whatever totally betray him and try to have him kill last episode. Now he had to see this. Yeah. Someone made a point on Reddit today that there's only been two named female characters to ever die on the show and both of them were Jesse's girlfriends mm. like this guy cannot catch a break and it's interesting you know when when they had shown up a couple episodes ago and, and Walt was trying to use them as bait it just kind of felt like this oh a nice cameo and something that ultimately didn't go anywhere but just to see like so many times this season where little things that just feel like nice little shout outs and cameos and such turn out to be set up for major things down the line and this was certainly one of them. And again, like you guys said, heartbreaking scene. Um, this is the last time we see Jesse in the episode, but he is just destroyed. And as the scene ends, Jack tells him, calm down. And remember, there's still the boy. So Brock's life is now directly on the line again. So the rest of the episode, which again, this is cutting back and forth the whole time, but the rest of the episode is Walt's story. So let's catch up with him, shall we? Uh, he's taken by Ed to a cabin in the woods in New Hampshire where he, 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 to get there on the trip, he's hiding inside of a propane truck with his barrel of money, which looks super uncomfortable, by the way. But here we have, is this foreshadowing, Walt in a barrel. <laughs> How many times have we, had, have we seen ba- uh, bodies in barrels in the show? Oh, yeah. This is the first one that's ever been alive, but uh, could be foreshadowing. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. So he's told when they get to the cabin that, you know, it's a two, there's two acres of land. He can hang out there. Uh, but there's a gate all around the property. And then there's a, there's a town about seven or eight miles away. I forget exactly. Um, and he's free to go there. Ed won't do anything to stop him. He can't do anything to stop him. But if he leaves the gate, he will most certainly be caught. And Ed will never come back because it's too much of a risk. And uh, in there, he's got a generator. He's got a stove, a TV that won't really pick up any signals. But it does have a DVD player and two copies of Mr. McGordon's Wonder Emporium. I know. What a great choice for a book to leave for somebody in a cabin like that. (laughs) That's exciting, right? Um, And basically, 
Ed tells him he'll come back, you know, every month with new supplies, new food, toilet paper, if Walt wants him to pick up anything else, etc. And apparently Walt is paying $50,000 a month for this service, which quite honestly, with the nationwide manhunt going on for him, not unreasonable, yeah. but still steep. Yeah, a little, little bit. You know, I was, uh, I, I, I was unclear. I know towards the... Uh, Towards the end, we have figured out that about six or seven months have passed. But is there a clue in the show that tells us that? I've just kind of heard people say it in passing. The clues in the show tell us that a minimum two months have passed, but probably more. And I'll get to that as we get through into the scenes. Okay. But at a minimum, two months have passed. But just going by the timeline of we, we know that basically three days or so after this episode ends is... Walt's 52nd birthday, we know how much time had to pass this episode, so it's mm-hmm. kind of reverse engineering. So as Ed pulls away finally and uh, goes to drive back uh, to uh, Albuquerque, uh, apparently, with his uh, with his propane truck, Walt puts on his Heisenberg hat and prepares to take the truck out to the, to the uh, town, even though he was told not to. He gets to the gate, and he p- pretty much stops, starts coughing, and says, tomorrow, I'll go tomorrow. <laughs> And it's interesting. We see this shot a couple times of Walt going up to the gate uh, for various reasons. So uh, one of right here where he's thinking about going into town and later when he lets Ed back onto the property. But I can't help but think that this was not a coincidence. There is a sign, I believe, on the fence and another one on the gate, both of which that say no pro- nope, trespassing violators will be prosecuted. <laughs> I, and granted, is that a common sign to see in a place like that? Absolutely. But... I also don't think it's a coincidence. I think when he finally leaves the compound later, that that is a that's a clue, I think. But again, I might just be reading into things too much. So we then later have another scene of uh, Ed coming to drop off supplies to Walt, and at this point, Walt's hair is about an inch and a half, two inches long. He looks like full-on uh, Walter Lambert or Mr. Lambert. I guess we don't really get Mr. Lambert's first name, but from the two flash forwards. Uh, He's emaciated, he's got the full beard, and uh, Ed has brought him a whole bunch of stuff, food, some insure to hopefully get some some weight on his bones, and a whole package of glasses because he didn't know Walt's prescription, (laughs) and apparently Walt's eyesight has deteriorated quite badly over the the months he's been there, but Walt finally finds a pair in in the uh, collection that Ed brought him, and it's the one that Walt is wearing in the flash forwards. Yeah, that scene as he's slowly getting his supplies and stuff. That's um, that's that's such a it's such a sad. I mean, there's a sadder scene that comes up next, but I mean, it's just you know, poor Walt. He has he he has all this money and he has nothing. <laughs> he gets it's so he's so, so skinny at one point. Like they show his wedding ring slipping off his finger, isn't it? In the one part, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you say poor Walt. I say, and I think I tweeted it last night while watching the episode. Screw you, Walt. You got what you deserved. I mean, yeah. I, I know it's not over yet, but all that is on your shoulders right now is your own fault. It is actively your own I think fault. It just yeah, speaks it, to it, how it, good an actor Brian Cranston is that after all the crap Walt has done, we still feel bad for him. Oh, and, and we're supposed oh, yeah, to. We're yeah. trapped in this cabin. Obviously, I mean, well, he's like the main character of the story or whatever. I'm just saying that, you know, in a lesser actor's hands, that would have been something that. You know that I mean we we wouldn't care you know but I mean we we deeply care about Walt and what's happening to him and everything even after he's killed you know countless people and is is uh, you know is incredibly rationalized uh, uh, quest for power you know yeah oh yeah 
Uh, also, while Ed is there that time, they go to do some, uh, I guess, jerry-rigged chemotherapy. I don't know mm. where Ed got the, the chemicals, but they hook up a, a bag of uh, the chemicals for chemotherapy. And he, uh, at first he tries to inject Walt and he says, oh, you know, it'll be better than last time. I've watched a few YouTube videos. I think I understand how to do it now. <laughs> and Walt tells him, I'll, I'll do it. But Walt can't even do it himself. He finally has to tell Ed to do it. And we've seen Walt do this before. I believe it was season two, episode three. I saw the screen cap on Reddit today. But, um, you know, he used to have the strength and the spirit to do it, but now he doesn't. And uh, so Ed finally does it. He, he puts the... Uh, the needle in Walt's vein and uh, the chemotherapy starts and he goes to leave and Walt goes, wait, wait, can you just stay for two hours? I'll pay you $10,000 um, and just, you know, stay with me for another two hours. And Ed goes, you oh, know, it's a long drive. It's, you know, I got a long ways to go to get back to Albuquerque. And Walt finally talks him into 10000 for an hour where they <laughs> play seven card, uh, seven card stud, was it? I believe some form of poker. Uh, to which uh, Ed got two kings, apparently. So good for him. That was ad-libbed, by the way, from what from what I understand. Because, by the way, screw you guys. Now you got me hooked on the Breaking Bad Insider podcast. Yes, isn't I've it great? That. I listen to all of season five, <laughs> all of season two, because they don't have one for one. And I'm partway through three right now. But it's so good. Yeah, and you learn these small little tidbits during it. And it's just like, um, it's like, wow. Like that, that line about, about 10, 10. I mean, ad-lib, but it just, it's... A perfect little moment, you know, it's, that's good acting. Uh, we then have, we jump in time a little bit more. We don't know if it's that night or several days later, but Walt is in bed. He's in his underwear, but this time it's long underwear. So a little bit of a difference there, but I still thought it was funny. Um, well, he's used and as to he's Albuquerque there, and now he's in New Hampshire. I mean, it's, it's a, a little, little colder, colder yeah, from what yeah. I understand. A little bit. <laughs> um, and Walt is asleep and his wedding ring slips right off of his finger, lands on the ground. Like you said, Jim. Um, and he, the noise wakes him up. He searches around, finds the ring. And when he sees that it won't fit on his finger anymore, he takes a piece of twine and ties it around his neck. Now, here is my thinking. Well, here's not, this is not my thinking, but this is my theory. I should say we had that whole, and I think I talked about it on a prior episode, but the whole theory that Walt is wearing a wire in the flash forwards. Mm -hmm. I think what people saw was this ring on the twine. Yeah, when under you, his shirt. You pointed that out earlier today, and that makes perfect sense. Now, my question is, was he always wearing that in the flash forwards, or did they get the great idea when people saw something under his shirt, which could have just been a microphone or whatever that they were using to film the scene, of what to do here, and they kind of retroactively put that in? In which case, either way, I'd say it's brilliant, but such cool attention to detail. My, my gut tells me that... Uh... That it's the latter that you know um, that they had the actor wearing the ring around his neck that that was planned because like that's something you can kind of kind of plan out when you're coming up with a story like you know oh he's so sick he has to wear the ring around his his hand I mean I seem to remember someone someone saying that he wasn't wearing his wedding ring in the diner oh well then that that lends so more that would make to sense it. yeah um, I seem to remember hearing that about about the story but at at any case yeah I, I i would think that he was wearing the ring around his neck the whole time so after that walt kind of gets an idea in his head uh he doesn't even go back to bed he just kind of bolts up and and sees the boxes in shore he dumps out all the little bottles and he starts grabbing cash and he stuffs about a hundred thousand dollars into the cardboard box 
and he uh, he leaves the cabin grounds for the first time. And uh, we then cut to Albuquerque, where Walter Jr., or Flynn White, as he is apparently still going by in the uh, in the school, although maybe that's just what his aunt calls him, who knows. But he's told, uh, uh, Flynn White, please come to the principal's office. He gets there, and he's told there's a call from his Aunt Marie. So he takes the call. And by the way, we got a cameo from Carmen, the, uh, the principal or the vice principal, who we have not seen since season two, I think. Maybe early season three. But uh, Carmen Molina. So nice little cameo from her. It's fun how they're working on all the, all the, uh, the cameos this season. And uh, he picks up the phone. And uh, there's a woman on the other end of the line, but it's not his aunt. And we cut back to New Hampshire to see that Walt has paid a patron at the bar or a barmaid or somebody to pretend to be Marie and to make the phone call. And as soon as Walter Jr. picks up the phone, Walt takes the phone from her, thanks her. And then he talks to Walt Jr. for a while and he tells him, you know, don't hang up, don't hang up. I understand the things they're saying about me, but you got to understand I did this with you guys in mind. I was only trying to do right by my family, etc. and so forth. And he... He asks him, does your friend Lewis uh, still live at uh, whatever the, the address is? And he says, I'm going to send this package to Lewis. Lewis is a good kid. He's like you. He'll understand. I'm going to send him this package. There's about $100,000 in it. It's addressed to Lewis, but it's for you guys. Um, I, I wanted to be able to send you more, but this is all I could send in the box. And Walt Jr. Uh, reprises a line he had, I believe, from the pilot, if not episode two or three, but of why don't you just die? Why do you keep calling, or not why do you keep calling, but why are you still alive? Why don't you just die? You killed Uncle Hank. I don't want your money. We don't want your money. You ruined this family, etc. and so forth. And it's killing Walt. He's trying to get him to stop. He's trying to get him to listen. And finally, uh, he just keeps yelling and yelling and finally hangs up the phone as uh, Carmen Molina comes back into the, uh, the, the principal's office with another teacher. And that is the last we see of Walter Jr., yeah, that's a that's a pretty powerful scene. That look that's in uh, Cranston's face too when he gets off the phone with him, it's like the last thing. You know, it's like the last shred of hope he had gone. Yeah. You know. And you know, I didn't I didn't fully buy Walt Jr.'s scene with uh, Marie and Skyler last week with his uh, you know, if this is true that whole thing. I thought I had a, a little bit of an issue with it. That said, I thought he was awesome in this scene. It, I totally bought it. He hasn't been given I mean, you know, this was his well, I guess he has had a lot to do, but he has had much of a range. These last two episodes, he's really kind of stretched himself from just being, you know, kind of a typical teenager to someone who's confused and angry and and emotional. With good reason. <laughs> you know, it's not just typical teenage angst. His dad's a meth kingpin. Uh, so after the phone goes dead, Walt is just destroyed. And he, he uses the payphone again. And this time... He calls the Albuquerque branch of the DEA. He asks for the agent uh, assigned to the Walter White investigation. And when they ask, who is this? He goes, this is Walter White. And then he (laughs) leaves the phone off the hook and he goes to order his presumably final drink. Now, I don't know if this is just me. I I have no way of verifying this. But the voice on the other end of the phone, did that strike anyone as sounding exactly like Dean Norris, a.k.a. Hank? I didn't notice it. I, I watched episode twice. I didn't both notice times. it either. I was like, I think that's Dean Norris on the other end of that line. In a cameo, I guess, or just a little, maybe it's Walt hearing his ghost or whatever in some weird way, but it sounds just like him, whether or not it actually is. 
That's uh, that that would be just uh, I guess that would be an Easter egg. That's pretty cool. If it yeah, if it I, I don't know, and they didn't talk about it on the on the Insider podcast, so I have no way to verify it. But um, it did sound cool. So, like I said, he goes over to the bar, he orders a whiskey, and the bartender starts flipping through the channels. Um, interesting little note, uh, by the way, was there's at least one, if not two, copies of your classic "No shirt, no shoes, no service" uh, sign in the bar, which. Is that a mm-hmm. normal problem to have in Sub-Zero, New Hampshire? Um, is th- did they really run into that a lot with, you know, six inches, eight inches of snow on the ground? I have no idea. You know, maybe, yeah, maybe that's them just being <laughs> ironic be. or uh, maybe the summers are, are really bad there. Although, I mean, and there's been a lot of discussion about this online, but Walt's birthday is in September, which is a few days after the scene. And granted, there is a mountain range in... New Hampshire, that covers about a quarter of the state, by the way, called the White Mountains, not joking, totally real, that is called that because the tops are snow-covered for much of the year, but most of what we would have seen of Walt was in the summer, and it just seems odd that there'd still be snow up there. So, timeline's a little bit unclear, but I I did find that interesting. Either this is the coldest point in New Hampshire, and so it is snow-covered all year round, which definitely makes that sign ironic, or I'm a little bit confused by that, but maybe we'll have more information next week, and maybe it just really doesn't matter. I can, I can, I can totally see Vince Gilligan going. Yeah, don't worry yeah, about it, all it's that. It's really not important. The important <laughs> thing is he's a caged animal. You're trapped with him in this cabin for about three quarters of the episode, and you're just supposed to see his sadness and despair, and every every you know seed he's planted in the last two years just coming back and you know the we basically the weeds he's planted coming up and and strangling every little last bit of life out of him but so as he's at the bar because i keep getting sidetracked the bartender starts flipping channels and walt hears something and you just kind of hear a snippet of the word science because before that it's like a, a 1998 hockey game uh where one of the team is called the what teams is called the badgers by the way which is kind of funny but he asks him, oh, go back, go back, go back. So the guy flips the channel back and we see Elliot and Gretchen Swartz in another very unexpected cameo being interviewed by Charlie Rose, who we talked about last week as being on this week's episode, although we didn't know exactly in what uh, what capacity. But they're on the Charlie Rose show talking about this, uh, this new uh, drug rehab donation they've made or drug rehab clinic they're helping fund. I, I forget the exact details, but he brings up now, people are saying you're just doing this because your stock is plummeting after uh, your connection to Walter White, the, the meth kingpin, has come to light. And he starts asking them questions about what what is your connection to Walter White? And they go, you know, he was, he was involved with the company at the beginning, but it really wasn't that important. And, well, what did he contribute? Honestly, just the name of Grey Matter. You know, Schwartz is black and German, and, you know, White, Walter White. So we put them together, and that was Grey, but... Pretty much his only contribution to the company was the name. Oh, and, and that you can just see how much that burns. That starts to set walls off. And then uh, Gretchen jumps in and she goes, you know, you know, or Charlie Rose asks, you know, is is Walter White still alive? And, and she goes, no, absolutely not. And he says, you seem really sure. And she goes, you know, I don't know about this Heisenberg character, but the Walter White I knew, the sweet, uh, the sweet, quiet, nice guy which really sets Walt off, because if we know anything, we know Walt hates to be called a nice, sweet guy. He always has the entire series. Um, he died a long time ago, and I don't know what's in his place, but Walter White is dead. And 
Charlie Rose also mentions that the blue meth is still in circulation, even in Europe. And uh, Walt, uh, every little bit of this keeps building up and building up on it, but Walt is just furious. As he's sitting there drinking his last drink, he's already called the DEA and he's just waiting for them to get him. But this sets him off, and we then cut to uh, the police pulling up to the bar as a extended version of the opening theme plays, which is really cool. I don't know if we've ever heard it in the show before, this extended version. Maybe we have, and I'm just not remembering it, but it was very nice to hear as, uh, I believe, four uniformed New Hampshire uh, state troopers uh, of some type get out of their trucks with shotguns and guns, and they swarm the building, they come in, and uh, the shot pans along the bar, uh, empty seat after empty seat, until we get to where Walt was sitting, and his drink is still there, undrunk, and Walter White is gone. The one part of this um, show that kind of bothered me was this, because it seemed awfully coincidental and and plot specific that this would be on the tv in the bar just as the da is coming to pick him up you know what i mean it just seemed a little i don't know convenient jim i'm i'm with you on on that point it did seem a little convenient I mean, it wasn't enough to take me out of the story but it was enough to be like really what, what i really want to know is in I don't know if this has been stated yet. If I remember correctly, Walter and Gretchen had a relationship, but it got complicated, so he left the company for $5,000. Am I remembering that More correctly? or less, and then he met Skylar. He got her pregnant. They had kids. They moved into the White House. Well, Elliot kind of stole Gretchen away from Walt. Well, he? it's really unclear. Actually, according to Gretchen and Walt in the scene they had, he left her. They were out a cabin with her parents or uh, on vacation with her parents and Walt was out hiking with them. He came back, he broke up with her and he just kind of went his way and, and she never really fully understood why. And we've never been told why. And something about it, like their relationship, the three of them, it got complicated. So he decided to leave. Yeah, but we don't really know anything more than that, whether it was an actual love triangle yeah. or... It got complicated just at work, and he left. Like, their their working relationship got complicated. We don't really know. You know, I was kind of curious to see how this would come back to to play, the, the gray matter thing, if it even would at all. Yeah. And, um, you know, it seems like it's going to be, you know, pride is going to be the thing that brings Walter White down. Well, I mean, it always has been. I mean, his whole thing is he is an egotistical coward. He's all about his pride and his ego, but he's also he's also a coward, and that has you know hindered him all through his life. Um, he had a bright future, and everybody thinks of him as nice, sweet Walt because he was a coward. But because he was a cow, because of that, he became very prideful in, in what he thinks he deserves and what he could have been, despite not actually trying to be that person. Until uh, cancer came around and gave him. Gave him no, not it gave him plenty of other choices, but it gave him an excuse to break bad and to let his ego take over. His ego come out as Heisenberg, and that that pride uh, we will find out next week. But uh, I don't see it ending well for him. It just reminds me. It reminds me of that part with Marcellus Wallace and Bruce Willis in uh, Pulp Fiction, you know, where he tells him that's pride messing with you. Right. You know. Um... I really feel like Jesse's story is over. I, I almost feel like we're not going to see him 
in the final episode. I don't know why we would see. Well, I mean, Walt's go. Presumably, Walt is going to kill all the neo Nazis. I don't think he's going to save Jesse, but I think he will find him there. Um, whether he then kills Jesse or Jesse kills him or he has a change of heart, I don't know. But um, I, if he's going there to kill them, I don't see him not running into Jesse at some point. You know, I, I kind of see that this is how I've kind of figured out how the ricin is going to fit into it and everything. I mean, we know he has that giant gun. In my head, I see, you know, Walt taking the ricin himself, going to Grey Matter HQ, shooting everybody. And then being taken away by police and, you know, knowing that he's going to die in, was it days? How long does it take for Rice to work? But, you know, a couple. Well, I mean, a on a healthy person, it's dead. about three days. But if you already have lung cancer, I mean, I believe it reproduces flu-like symptoms. Um, you know, that's going to kill a person with lung cancer, I would think, much faster. But I'm no medical doctor. Right. So, so that's kind of my thinking as to where it's going to go. That's going to be the plot point. You know, I'm sure, I mean, the next episode is going to be 90 minutes or 60 minutes as well. So there's still a lot more story to tell. So this episode was definitely a change of pace, like we talked about. Um, but I think, and I said this at the beginning, I think it worked so well. It was, A, it was a welcome uh, breather, if you will, in terms of pace. Because after the last couple episodes, we needed to sit down and catch our breath for for 53 minutes as this episode's running length was, but also, you know, that just being trapped with Jesse and trapped with Walt in their respective cells was heartbreaking and sad and claustrophobic and, and just enlightening all at the same time and just showing you what these people have become more so Walt. I mean, Jesse is, yes, he's made a lot of bad choices, but a lot of these things that are, are biting him are Walt's creation. But just to see Walt finally reap almost all of the rewards of what he's sown was kind of gratifying in a way. It's weird. It's, like, it's almost like Jesse is getting the worst of the fates, you know, even though it's Walt's, you know, doing that, that got them there. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, absolutely. So with that, we are going to close out this episode and then transfer into our spoiler-ish sequence. Uh, there's not really any spoilers that are out there right now to... Uh, to impart everything is very vague but if you don't want to hear anything or even our guesses as to what the end will be uh tune out after we give you the last little bit of ending information uh you can leave us a voicemail and please after you've seen the finale send us an email send us a voicemail we'd love to hear your reactions to the finale and to the whole series um you can send us a voicemail at 516-468-7912. That's 516-468-7912. Send us an email at romanos at hhwlod.com. Check out all of our other great shows like Half Hour Wasted with Frank and uh, Long Box of Doom with Jim and myself and Russ and John. Uh, WalkingDeadTV.com for the Walking Dead TV podcast. Out Now with Aaron and Abe. Uh, Jersey Shore, Black Box, and a whole bunch of others. You can find them all at hhwlod.com. And uh, this show will be ending soon, but we hope you check out some of our others as well. And of course, you can find our Facebook groups for those shows and follow us on Twitter at hhwlod underscore network. And just remember, we are not in danger, listeners. We are the danger, as my voice starts to go. So I almost sound a little bit like Walter White, inadvertently. But next week on Breaking Bad. Remember, if you don't want to know anything about the finale, and I don't blame you, stop listening now. But the finale is titled, we've talked about this a little bit previously as it being a very odd title, but the title is 
Felina, F-E-L-I-N-A. Now, what does that mean? Well, first off, it is an anagram, meaning taking the letters and mixing them up and making a new word, of the word finale. But there are other, also other meanings for it as well. One possible one is, if you want to look this up on YouTube, the song El Paso, El Paso, rather, by Marty Robbins. This is a song about a man who journeys from, I believe, Albuquerque uh, to, or maybe somewhere in Arizona, but he goes from one southwestern state to El Paso to meet the girl of his dreams, who he had to leave, and her name is Felina, and it's a very, it's a song that I listen to today and definitely sounds like it would fit in Breaking Bad, so it's possible there could be some uh, thematic connections there. I definitely recommend you check it out. It's a uh, country-western song, but done in a waltz pattern, which is interesting musically. Um, Another interesting thing about the title is F-E-L-I-N-A. F-E is iron, L-I is lithium, and N-A is, uh, now I'm going to... Sodium. And those are three elements, of course, but iron, blood... Lithium, meth, and sodium tears. So some people are speculating that it is actually a hidden message of what will be in the episode, which is blood, meth, and tears, which would also not surprise me. But we will find out next week. Um, the ever vague, possibly vaguest ever uh, liner from AMC is the acclaimed crime drama concludes in the series finale. So that tells you a whole lot about what's going to happen in the episode. And. Uh, Oh, you just spoiled <laughs> oh, it. Sorry. And Vince Gilligan on Talking <laughs> well, I'm Bad. I'm not going to watch it now. Vince Gilligan on Talking Bad gave his uh, his clue as to what will be in the episode, and he gave one word, or maybe it was two, he wasn't sure, woodworking. To which some people are bringing up the, um, the conversation Jesse had in uh, rehab where he talked about that wooden box he had made as a, as a high school student that he eventually sold for meth, or for weed, rather. Uh, some people are speculating that it could be referring to the building of coffins for a lot of bodies, uh, or maybe it could be something completely different. We don't know. But now that we have that very limited information, the title, some possible meanings for it, and uh, some possible guesses as to what the episode could be about. Gentlemen, what do you think the episode might be? How will it end? Who lives? Who dies? Will Walter Jr. try meth? Will Walt ever try meth? It's been two years and he's never tried meth. Uh, will he need a little a little kick to get himself going to get to the end? Walt's going to get abducted by aliens, and Mulder and Scully are going to come out of the car. <laughs> no, they'll bring out their flashlights, and that'll be the end of the, uh, the series. New Heart type ending. No, I, I, I for, I've given up on trying to, to figure out ahead of time what Vince Gilligan has in store. I've, I've tried and tried and failed and failed, so I, I refuse to try to make any... Uh, you know, real predictions as to what's going to happen. I'm just going to let it let it hit me like a truck. You know, I I I've been I love playing this game, trying to figure out what could possibly happen, and every attempt has failed. <laughs> I mean, to where I think they would logically go, they always find another way to go that's just as logical, and it just it just leads you to uh, the the writing crew is amazing on this show it's and they just do a good expect. job it's never it's what i never expect. what you yeah it's never what you expect and you're never let down um i kind of gave my theory earlier but you know for what it's worth i'm sure that's not going to happen <laughs> well let's go general um 
Let's go first with Jesse. By the end of the series, is Jesse alive or dead? Frank? Or, I'm sorry, uh, Jim? I say he's alive. I would love to see Pinkman come out on top, considering he's gotten the worst of it. You know what I mean? He's bared, he's bared the brunt of the of the contrition for Walt's, most of Walt's sins. You know, his 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 girlfriend's been killed, his his son's been threatened, all the other stuff that's happened to him. I would really love to see Pinkman, Pinkman with at least a semi-happy ending by the end. I think Jesse will live, but will be severely maimed in the final episode. Maybe he could be the new meth kingpin. He could be the new Heisenberg, you know. He'll buy himself a pork pie hat. I would hope he would have learned his <laughs> lesson by this point. Uh, so we got Jesse. Uh, Brock, will Brock be alive or dead? Mm, I think Brock mm. will live. Frank? Brock will and live. And I'll make it the hat trick. I also think Brock will live. Uh, the Nazis in general, including Todd. Well, should we separate Todd out from the rest of them? Well, here's the thing. Is is Walt buying the big gun to to go take out the, the Nazis? Or is Walt buying the big gun to go get revenge on Grey Matter? I think he's going after the Nazis. It would be too weird for him to go after Grey Matter. He wants his money. Hmm. Yeah, I guess you're right. I don't know, though. His that Just that scene where his pride is so wounded just made me think... You know, there might be some sort of retaliation on that end. Too, and I've but. seen some people speculate that he goes to get the money back and then he, he donates it to their to the same cause they did, but he donates more than they did to show them up. <laughs> it could be kind of funny. But so the Nazis, um, I think they all die. I think Todd will get a very special send-off, hopefully, by Jesse. But uh, what do you guys think? Do you think the Nazis will live or the Nazis will get away? Well, I I think I think the Nazis... Or die or get away, sorry. Will, yeah, I, I think I think they will die, and um, I think Todd will live. I would love to see Jesse kill Todd and call him a bitch. One final <laughs> one to end the show. I could deal with that. Yes, one one final bitch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How would you like to see Todd killed? Poison tea? Maybe. Uh, oh, <laughs> what if Walt puts the rice in, in Lydia's tea? And not knowing it's there, Todd also drinks the tea and gets poisoned. Mm. Or, you know, she drinks it and then he does the creepy thing and drinks it. Right, right. That's more or less what I mean, yeah. Because we saw him drinking tea this episode. He's emulating her as best he can. I just said could be. Skylar, Walter Jr., and Holly. Do they all three make it? Do all three die? Some mix? Mm, They walk away. They're, you know... I, I think their story is done. I don't see them killing a baby. I really don't. Um, yeah, I think I think they I think they all live. I also probably think they live, and I also don't think we see much of them this next episode. I think if anything, it's just a quick quick snippet to cl- uh, clean up uh, the end of Skylar's story. But uh, I don't think we get a lot with them. I I really think Skylar is gonna is going to sell out Lydia. Well, speaking of Lydia, will Lydia die or will Lydia live? Yeah, Lydia will die. Yeah, I think Lydia's Lydia's history. In fact, I I'm I'm I feel certain that it's somehow going to be maybe at the hands of Todd, even if it's accidental. That would be interesting, yeah. Or if or if Jesse forces him to kill her somehow. Or like you said with the rice and the tea. Right, right. Yeah. Uh Who's left? Uh, Badger and Skinny Walt. Pete, do they make it out alive? I hope so. <laughs> they are uh, they are probably um, 
They pr- they're probably sitting in their apartment or in their mom's place thinking up more Star Trek episodes. <laughs> uh, now, Walt. Now, not if he's alive or dead. We'll save that for the end. Will Walt be rich or penniless? Or let's just say poor. Rich or poor financially by the end of the finale. By the end of the finale, I think he's going to be dead. But will he be dead with millions of dollars or dead penniless? He already has millions of dollars. So, I mean, even if he goes after the Nazis, he already has millions. You know, doesn't go after the Nazis. He already has millions. You, you know what I mean. So. Does he get his money back or does he yeah. not? I think he gets his. I think he he gets his money back. That's going to be the irony of it. He's gonna he's gonna get his eighty million and have nothing. And he can't do anything with and it. And <laughs> I, I, I kind of agree. I think he'll get the money back. Do you think he will get his family back? I do not think he will get his family back. No. No, I think no. it's a foregone conclusion. They're gone. They're done. And, of course, the capper. Well, I'll, I'll delay it a little bit more just to annoy people. <laughs> will someone <laughs> still be producing Heisenberg's formula? Anybody. Doesn't matter if it's the Nazis, Walt, Jesse. Will someone be producing Walt's formula of meth at the end of the episode? At the time of the end of the episode, rather. Not like literally in the end. I mean, that would be his legacy living on. So, in a sense, he still lives, but in the most negative way. So, yes, his meth will still be on the streets. Jim? I think so. I think somehow. I think that's that's going to be like, probably the, the, the denouement as it will, as you will, you know, he might, he might die and he might die with, you know, his $80 million and not being able to do anything with it after losing his family and his whole life and everything. But the blue meth will live on. It just seems like a, a nice fitting, ironic, you know, denouement. I, I like your, gen- I like your logic behind that gentleman. I don't know that I have a strong feeling either way, but I think it's an interesting, uh, interesting thing to think about. And, and rather than delay it anymore, will Walt at the, well, wait, wait a second, okay. wait a second. Great matter. The Grey Matter Gang, what's going to happen Yeah, do, do we have any more with them, or is that it? I really think he's going to try to kill them. Yeah, I, I do too. Gonna... I, I, after that scene with him in the bar and uh, watching them on Charlie Rose or whatever, I really think he's going to go after them in some way. I don't. I mean, and granted, A, because I don't think narratively it makes a whole lot of sense, but also from the podcast they were saying how much work it was to even get... Uh, the actors who play Gretchen Elliott available for even the short amount of time to sh- film that scene, which granted could have been smoke and mirrors, but they did bring it up a couple times. And if it was that difficult to get them for just that one scene in New York with Charlie Rose, I mean, they shot that whole thing in half an hour. That's all the time they had because it was the day after Margaret Thatcher died and there's a lot of new stuff going on. If it was that difficult to get that little scene shot, I don't see them being able to get any more. Unless it's like with just Elliot, because it was Gretchen who really had the most um, scheduling difficulties. But we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I think it was more just a catalyst for him to get his his evil mojo back and head to uh, crush some heads. But we'll see. Get off his duff. Will Will <laughs> Walt live or die? And granted, Walt is going to die. He's got cancer. But will he be dead at the end of the show or alive? Physically. Oh, I think he'll be dead. I think it's gonna be. I think, I think it's gonna be kind of like suicide by Nazi. You know what I mean? Like I think he's <laughs> gonna go down taking the Nazis out. You know, I could, uh, I could totally see him sitting alone, 
like on a, the side of an empty road. Everything is dead. You know, his money's on fire. Like maybe there was an explosion and burning money is all over the place. And and he's just there watching it burn and camera cuts to black. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a tough thing. I can see satisfactory narrative endings where he's alive and where he's dead, where he's got the money, where he doesn't have the money. I mean, I guess I've got to come down on one and say, like, my, my official prediction, and I say he'll be... You guys both said dead, so I'll say alive, but I can see really good endings either way, um, and so neither one will bother me. In, in, in theory. I mean, you they know, could the, pick um, some dumb one, but I, I hope they don't, and I don't think they will. They won't. I I, uh, I know this this ship has already sailed and stuff like that, but originally when this season started, I totally saw Walter White uh, living to be a ripe old man with all of his family dead and him sitting in a wheelchair just like uh, the guy who used to ring the bell. What's his Hector name? Hector Salamanca. Salamanca. Yeah. Like, like him in that kind of manner, you know, the irony of that and him having no family, no one to love him and him leaving, living to be like, you know, 90 years old and he's miserable. Granted, that's not going to happen anymore. I, I think I agree that, you know, with Jordan, what he's saying, you know, there are satisfactory, you know, narrative endings that with him alive or with him dead, you know? So I just personally think he's going to go out in a blaze of glory. Now, one other thing that I forgot to bring up in the episode and I've been meaning to, but I just kept forgetting to bring it up till now. Um, in the scene where Ed gives Walt the chemo, he does catch Walt, Walt up on Albuquerque News. Um, and we get the answer to why the house was all fenced off and a wreck. And that's because after Skyler and the kids were forced to move out because the house was repossessed, um, it kind of became like a tourist attraction for local kids, local ne'er-do-wells and stuff, who kept vandalizing the property and sneaking on and stuff. So the the uh, bank put up the fence to try and keep them out. And as we can see in the flash forward from... Um, uh, episode 508. It was not exactly successful because there's still kids there in the uh, in the pool skateboarding. But that's why the fence is there. Uh, he also mentions, Ed mentions, that Skylar's going by her maiden name now. Which, anyone who really, really knows the deep cuts of the show knows, is Lambert, which is the same name that Walt is going by right now. So they're still sharing the last name, even in their final separation, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Which is probably more of just an in-joke. I don't think it's a legitimate plot point in terms of there's some reason why this is happening because I think they would have pointed it out like Walt going, oh, that's weird because I'm using her, her her maiden name too. But I did find it interesting. <laughs> hey, so what uh, So what could be the worst ending? The worst ending? <laughs> uh, the alien one that Jim mentioned sticks up there. Yeah, the alien yeah. one would be I mean, the whole good. Jane Casmeric, you know, a- Malcolm in the Middle prequel thing would be funny, but it would be a terrible ending for the show. Um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of bad endings. I don't know. What <laughs> I don't know though. Did? I really that was I, probably I, pretty bad. Actually, you know, I remember their ending <laughs> being kind of interesting, but it was only interesting because they could never go any further with it, and it was after yeah. three and a half seasons of awfulness. So, who who sent out a link to that video of? Of Hank's hand coming, uh, Hank's driving. Oh, I think that the, was me. It <laughs> was from Funnier Die. He did two okay. Funnier Die videos. He did the one where it was Hank spoils the ending, and then it was uh, one that was uh, what happens next, which is like the next day after Hank is buried, he, his like hand comes up out of the ground. And he's like, "I'm coming for you." But then he he goes to walk, and he's under a tiny little dome, and he's stuck there. 
That's because he's on. <laughs> he's on under the dome right on now. CBS. Yeah. I I love that line that the actor gives to Gomi. He puts his hand on the ground and goes, "Don't worry, Gomi. I'll revenge your death." <laughs> <laughs> oh, and and uh, I think I've said this before. I'm gonna be very. You know, most most series we kind of hate to see go because we love them so much. This one definitely needs to end. I mean, it's got to have an ending, right? right? So I'm gonna I, I'm gonna be very happy with it when it's done because it's gonna be like finishing a good book. It's gonna be like, <sighs> yes, that was a ride. <laughs> yeah, after all that Gilligan has done, I really don't see him missing. You know, miss not sticking the landing, as it were. You know. Well, gentlemen. It is now less than a week until the final episode ever of Breaking Bad. You gonna miss it? I know I will. I'm I'm gonna be satisfied that it's that. It's oh, I, I agree yeah, completely. I'm, it's I'm gonna time miss for it to the, the posturing and the theorizing and stuff. But but um, you know, it's it it it's going out on up high. You know, it's going out when it needs to go and not not you know stretched out like arguably lost was you know lost was maybe two seasons too long or the x-files or yeah you know, a lot of a lot of shows <laughs> overstayed their welcome dexter you know? i mean you dexter know? ended last night as well and apparently people were very unhappy with its ending but they've also been very yeah. unhappy with the last couple seasons so but i will miss it i will miss it i will as well well folks until next week uh this has been los podcast hermanos i'm jordan from jersey that was jim that was frank have a good week, and we will see you for the finale in, uh, in about seven days. <laughs>